You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the legend of the Wendigo. Welcome to, or welcome back, to the podcast. I'm so excited to be back here with all of you in my little corner of the Mystery Still Unsolved universe. Uh, This school year has been so crazy, (laughs) so, so busy for me, and my kids only have like a few more weeks. I think it's like four, possibly four and a half more weeks until summer vacation. Um, and I could not be more elated to turn off all of my various alarms and just get to spend time together as a family, um, spend some time in the sun. We need that in Utah because the weather has been sucking lately. Um, I'm excited to go on adventures and sleep in and stay in my pajamas for way too long. It's going to be great. Uh, I realize that with my kids being out of school, it is going to kind of change things in terms of my schedule. So thank you in advance for being patient while I navigate what this new normal with them at home is going to look like. Um, Currently, right now, I am like researching, writing, recording, and editing all while they're at school because it just gives me a little bit of downtime and some quiet time to do all those things. But they're going to be home now and I can't really be watching documentaries about murderers while my kids are in the house because they will hear and then they're going to get nightmares and then they're going to keep me up all night. Um, So I am going to have to try and figure out how I'm going to do that. But at the moment, I'm still currently planning on getting one episode out for you each and every week and getting that bonus episode out for our patron members each and every month. If you're not already following me on Instagram, then you probably don't know about some very exciting news that happened over the weekend. Um, I had the unique and awesome opportunity to be a guest on a podcast. It was very outside of my comfort zone. I'd never been a guest on a podcast before. I usually don't even talk to other people while I'm on my podcast. So it was a very unique and fun opportunity. They were gracious hosts. Um, The podcast is called Wrong Opinions Only. It is hosted by two of my class of 08 friends and classmates. Um, We decided to kind of merge our interests together and we came up with what I feel is a really great episode. They have not posted it on their um, queue yet. It will be posted sometime within the next few weeks and I will let you know what it does and you can go hop over there and listen to it. Um, In the meantime, however, if you are a big movie buff, if you're a reality TV fan, or you just want to have like two best friends in the car with you while you're on your way to and from work, you should head on over to Wrong Opinions Only and catch up with my friends, Kayla and Justin. I promise you, you will not regret it. Um, follow me on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved if you want to know more of these exciting behind the scenes going ons with Mystery Still Unsolved so that we can keep up with us in real time. In the summer, I am planning on hosting, you know, various giveaways. I'm going to be celebrating my three-year podcast anniversary in July, and then August is my birthday month. And so you know that I'm going to want to, like, treat you guys because you guys are a big part of my life. 
So you're going to want to follow me over there so that you will be the first to know about our awesome giveaways. Um, You can also view pics and comment on all of the many cases that we cover. You can DM me a case suggestion. You can send me messages and just talk true crime with me. And, you know, if you hear about a case in the news that's current, send it to me. Let me know about it. I love getting to know all of you. It's honestly one of my favorite parts of running this podcast. Uh, We really have such a great and supportive community of true crime lovers here, and I absolutely love to see it. And more than that, I love to be a part of it. It's so fun. If Instagram isn't your thing, that's cool. Go to my website, www.mysterystillunsolved.com. There, you can binge my now 109 episodes. You can also purchase merch. I have stickers on hand, so those can get out to you any day. And then I will be placing my next batch of t-shirts at the end of June. And they'll get to you sometime between mid-July to the end of July. So if you missed the t-shirt boat the last go-around, don't worry about it. You can get one this summer. If you love the podcast and you feel so inclined to donate to it monetarily, you can do so by joining our patron program. I will link it in today's show notes. Um, When you join, your donations will go towards the hosting programs, the equipment that I use to get these episodes out to you. Um, Whenever I host giveaways, I'll pull from that fund my editing software, and a percentage goes to the Joyful Heart Foundation, which is a really awesome foundation that was started by the Mariska Hargitay. Uh, She's like the main character in Law & Order SVU. And what the foundation does is it gets DNA samples tested that are currently on backlog. Um, There are a lot of DNA samples, a lot of rape kits that need to be tested, and there's just not the funding in place for it. So this foundation kind of makes up where the gaps are and helps to get these tested and hopefully get justice for people who've been waiting for it for a very long time. Um, There are three tiers in my patron program. We have the Uncultured Swine, the Couch Potato Sleuths, and the Crime Scene Investigators. All of the programs have their various perks, and I'll let you read about them, but the main perk is that patron members of any of the tiers and all of the tiers will get a special VIP patron-only bonus episode each and every month. I just posted one last week about the Cleveland torso killer and it was wild. It was like one of the more wild cases that I've covered. So it was really fun. So if you want more cases like that, go join our patron program. Um, another thing that I want to mention before we move on with today's episode is something I actually haven't talked about in quite a while. Reviews. So A few months ago, I was able to get on a call with this podcast guru of sorts, and I've been following a lot of his advice the last few weeks, and I've been seeing a lot of great success from it, Um, and he suggested that I do something that he referred to as a swarm. Um, Basically, what that is, is he suggested that I ask all of my listeners, so that's you, um, who haven't already made a review, to do so all on the same day. So essentially, I would pick a date, which I have. May 1st. And if you could all just add it to your calendar to leave me a positive review that day, apparently having multiple reviews all posted on the same day will boost my true crime podcast closer to the top of the queue. And then more people will find out about me whenever they're looking up a new true crime podcast to binge. So 
If you can find it in your heart, if you can find time to pop on over there and leave a review on May 1st, I would be eternally grateful. Um, I will try to remind you on my Instagram the day before and the day of. Um, I just really, really want to get as many reviews as I can on May 1st to just kind of boost me up to the top. Okay. I know that I just threw a lot of information at you, but I needed to do it. But now that it's over, we can finally move on to the fun stuff. But sorry, I totally forgot to add this to my notes. All right. One more thing before we get started on our topic today. Um, I recently noticed, and you may have too, that if you go back to my very first episodes um, back that I posted in 2020, you may notice that a couple of episodes are missing. And I've been trying to figure out why this is, and I finally figured it out, and now I'm working on it. So apparently the Podbean, that's the podcast hosting site that I use, I needed to upgrade my account to allow me to post more than 100 episodes at a time. So I just have to like upgrade my membership and pay a little bit more so that way I can have more episodes. So if you've noticed it, I'm working on it. And even if you haven't noticed it, I'm working on it because I always got your back whether you notice it or not. Um, So hopefully by the end of the week, maybe beginning of next week, I will be able to get all 109 episodes out there for you. Um, But in the meantime, today we are going to be discussing the legend of the Wendigo, which includes some of the creepiest things I've ever read or researched in my life. So without further ado, let's get on with today's topic of conversation. Let's begin with the origin story of this mystical, albeit malevolent creature. The Wendigo or the flesh eater of the forest, yeah, um, as it is often known as, is a creature or spirit originating from the folklore of the American Plains and Great Lakes natives. It is based in and around the east coast forests of Canada and the Great Plain region of the United States, predominantly those Native Americans who are speakers of the Algonquin family languages. The OG Wendigo, as the legend says, is that the first ever Wendigo was once a lost hunter, and he was lost during a brutally cold winter. And this hunter's intense hunger and desperation drove him to engage in an act of cannibalism. After feasting on another human's flesh, he was transformed into a crazed man-beast who was then cursed to roam the forest eternally in search of more people to eat. Pretty rough stuff. All right, what does a Wendigo look like? So the description I found on Wikipedia was my absolute favorite, but it's because it was the most descriptive and also the most terrifying. Uh, Wikipedia states that the Wendigo is gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, its bones appear to be pushing out against of its skin, its complexion is that of ash gray, basically the color of death, and its yellow or red eyes are pushed back deep into its eye sockets. It has yellow fangs and claws, and some depictions include that they will have deer-like antlers. 
The Wendigo looks like a gaunt skeleton creature recently disinterred from the grave. Some believe that the creature can grow up to 15 feet tall or that perhaps the Wendigo starts as a small, like more of a human sized size, so maybe like five and a half to six feet. And as it continues to eat human flesh, it grows larger and larger. So the bigger the Wendigo, the longer it's been eating people. Now, while the Wendigo legend says it is a creature of the undead, it is not a zombie. So if you are bitten by a Wendigo, you will not turn into one. Although most believe if you are bitten by a Wendigo, there's probably a very slim chance that you will survive because the Wendigo will more than likely devour you in a matter of minutes. The only way someone turns into a Wendigo is if the spirit of one is able to enter your body at the same time that you have made the conscious decision to consume human flesh. So the best way to avoid turning into a Wendigo is to just simply not eat people. I'm looking at you, Dahmer. I'm looking at you. Uh, that being said, I think most of us here, most of us listening, listening, at least I hope, are in the clear. The presence of a Wendigo is said to invoke feelings of insatiable greed, insatiable hunger, the desire to eat other humans, and the propensity to commit murder in those that fall under the Wendigo's spell. The Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. It is never satisfied. Its hunger is insatiable. It will not be satisfied with the consumption of one human body. As soon as it is done feeding, it goes on to hunt and find its next victim. It is believed that the Wendigo possesses superhuman speed, approximately 108 kilometers per hour fast enough to move from one place to another in a matter of seconds, making it one of the fastest of the supernatural monsters or legends that we currently know of. A Wendigo is said to be almost invincible as part of its curse is that it is forced to live an immortal, eternal life. When a Wendigo is injured, it will simply regenerate. Think like X-Men, Logan. He is my favorite superhero of all time. The only way it is believed to kill a Wendigo is to get close enough to get a silver blade or stake and strike it right through the Wendigo's ice-cold heart. And that is actually something that I forgot to include in the description of a Wendigo is that Wendigos are very cold. They are very icy. Um, Okay, so I'm glad that I remembered that. Now let's discuss some firsthand accounts that have been collected throughout history about these haunting creatures. The first we're going to discuss today is a case collected in the mid to early, like the early to mid 20th century by Lottie, I'm going to say this name wrong, Lottie Chicago Marsden. And this person was an ethnographer of the Chippewas of Rama First Nation, and it reads... One time long ago, a big Wendigo stole an Indian boy, but the boy was too thin, so the Wendigo didn't eat him up right away, but he traveled with the Indian boy, waiting for him until he'd get fat. The Wendigo had a knife, and he'd cut the boy on the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat, but the boy didn't get fat. They traveled way too much. 
One day they came to an Indian village and the Wendigo set the boy to the Indian village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to go there and back. The boy told the Indians that the Wendigo was near them and showed them his hand where the Wendigo cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling the boy. He said to the boy, hurry up, don't tell lies to the Indians. All of those Indians went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. They went back again to see if he was dead. He wasn't dead. He was eating the juice from the inside of the bones of his own legs that were cut off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on them. He said, you bet there is. I have eaten lots of Indians. No wonder they are fat. The Indians then killed him and cut him into pieces. And this was the end of this giant Wendigo. End quote. In historical accounts of the retroactively diagnosed Wendigo psychosis, it has been reported that humans become, or became, possessed by the Wendigo spirit. In 1661, the Jesuit relations reported the following. What caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were inflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but had a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imagination and causes them a more canine-like hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. End quote. One of the more famous cases of the Wendigo psychosis reported involved a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta, Canada, by the name of Swift Runner, which, super cool name, love it. TM. Uh, during the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family were starving. It was a very brutal and cold winter. They had not been able to save enough food to last the winter. Um, during this winter, Swift Runner's eldest son died 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at the Hudson Bay Company Post. Swift Runner butchered and ate his own wife and five remaining children. Given that he had resorted to cannibalism so near to food supplies and that he killed and consumed the remains of all those present, it was revealed that Swift Runners was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort to avoid starvation, but rather of a man experiencing Wendigo psychosis. He eventually confessed and was executed by authorities of Fort Saskatchewan. Another well-known case involving Wendigo psychosis was that of Jack Fiddler, an OG Cree chief and medicine man known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. In some cases, this entailed killing people with Wendigo psychosis. As a result, in 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by Canadian authorities for homicide. 
Jack committed suicide, but Jack was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving the news of his pardon. Fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western ethnographers, psychologists, and anthropologists led to a hotly debated controversy in the 1980s over the historicity of this phenomenon. Some researchers argued that essentially, Wendigo psychosis was a fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories related to them at face value without observation. Others have pointed to a number of credible eyewitness accounts, both by Algonquins and others, as evidence that Wendigo psychosis was a factual historical phenomenon. In his 2004 treatise, Revenge of the Wendigo, on disorders and treatments of the behavioral health industry in the United States and Canada that are peculiar to indigenous people, James B. Waldrum wrote, No actual cases of Wendigo psychosis have ever been studied. And Lou Murano's scathing critique in 1985 should have killed off the cannibal monster within the psychiatric annals. The Wendigo, however, continues to seek revenge for this attempted scholarly execution by periodically duping unsuspecting passerby, like psychiatrists, into believing that Wendigo psychosis not only exists, but that a psychiatrist could conceivably encounter a patient suffering from this disorder in his or her practice today. Um, So people were thinking this up until the the 90s. Um, This disorder, uh, Wendigo psychosis, may well be the most perfect example of the construction of of an aboriginal mental disorder by the scholarly professions, so a fabrication. And its persistence dramatically underscores how constructions of, you know, a tale created by different cultures can greatly impact a society. Take like Frankenstein's monster. That is a fabricated story about a monster and it's just kind of taken a life of its own. And why do, why does this happen with some creatures and not with others? That's, I don't have the answer for that. But there are definitely some legends like the Sasquatch that try as we may to just kind of write them off. They just keep popping up. There keeps being sightings of them. We just will not allow these legends to die. And does that mean that these legends in particular are based off of some sort of truth and that's how they're able to survive throughout the centuries? Or is it simply just word of mouth being passed over and over and over again and an increased interest every decade or so in, you know, the teenage community to reenact these to keep the story alive? In addition to denoting a cannibalistic monster from certain traditional folklore, some Native Americans also understand the Wendigo conceptually. As a concept, the Wendigo, the legend of the Wendigo, can apply to any person, any idea, or movement infected by a corrosive drive toward self-aggrandizing greed, excessive consumption, traits that sow disharmony and destruction if they're left unchecked and untethered. Ojibwe scholar 
Brady DeSanti asserts that the Wendigo, quote, can be understood as a marker indicating a person imbalanced both internally and toward the larger community of human and spiritual beings around them, end quote. Out of equilibrium and estranged by their communities, individuals thought to be afflicted by Wendigo psychosis or the Wendigo spirit, they tend to unravel and destroy the ecological balance between them. Um, In addition to characterizing individual people who exhibit destructive tendencies, the Wendigo can also describe movements and events with similarly negative effects. According to Professor Chris Shudler, the figure of the Wendigo represents, quote, consuming forms of exclusion and assimilation, end quote, through which groups dominate other groups. Okay, so as a concept, Wendigo can apply to situations other than some Native American-European relations. It can serve as a metaphor explaining any pattern or denomination by which groups subjugate and dominate or violently destroy and displace. Um, So it doesn't have to just deal with the physical act of cannibalism, the eating of human flesh, um, many universities argue that Wendigos are agents of, so- of social cannibalism who know no provincial or national borders. All human cultures have been visited by shape-shifting Wendigos. Their visitations speak to the inseparability of human experience. National identity is irrelevant to this borderless horror. All right. So although the Wendigo stems from a legend from long ago, you can still find references to the Wendigo even in today's popular culture. Television series imploring the figure include Teen Wolf, Supernatural, Blood Ties, Charmed, Grimm, and perhaps most notably in Hannibal, which I've actually never watched, but I totally want to watch it now. Um, Hannibal is a show where an FBI profiler has these recurring dreams or visions of a Wendigo figure that symbolizes the cannibalistic serial killer that's the story throughout. At its core, I feel like the legend of the Wendigo was a way that people belonging to the Algonquin tribes made sense of people in their communities committing completely out-of-character heinous acts. For example, the cases of men who, under normal circumstances, would never consider butchering and eating their entire families, but due to the unique circumstances of desperation, they were driven to do the unthinkable. Perhaps the members of the Algonquin tribes simply couldn't fathom the idea that a friend they thought of fondly or perhaps a family member that they loved so much would ever be capable of such atrocity, of such perverse behavior. And perhaps it was just easier to digest this idea that they were possessed by an evil spirit, that of the spirit of the Wendigo. And this helped them to make sense of what had happened in a way that didn't completely destroy and ravage their psyche. But I'm curious, what do you make of the legend of the Wendigo? Had you ever heard of it before today's episode? Do you think there was or still could be Wendigos around the area of the eastern United States and Canada? Do you feel like it's more of a legend or a metaphor rather than an actual creature or entity. 
Have you ever watched any of the shows that I mentioned that reference or feature a Wendigo? Oh my gosh, I really feel like I've got to watch this Hannibal show. It sounds very, very, very interesting and right up my alley. Do you believe in the professor's view that um, while the Wendigo may not be actual cannibalism, it could be a metaphor to social cannibalism? Let me know of you of what you make of all of this on the post that I created for you on my Instagram at mystery still unsolved. Uh, this is slightly off topic, but only slightly, slightly, slightly. But this kind of reminds me of a movie that I watched last summer while I was in Hawaii. My kids were asleep and we couldn't leave. And I was like, whatever, I'm just going to watch a movie on my phone. And it's a movie that you can find on Netflix. And I would highly recommend it if you're on the hunt for a good horror flick to watch this weekend. It's called The Wind. Um, And this film came out in 2018, and it's a supernatural horror film about a phenomenon regarded or referred to as prairie madness. And this deals more with the plains in the Midwestern United States, um, but it has similar themes throughout. So basically, and this is no joke, this is real, there were people who were, you know, exploring and settling the Midwest, and they were the first of their kind. And it it was, they felt isolated. They would get lonely. They would get depressed by the lack of human connection, depressed by the fact that they didn't have certain luxuries in the Midwest that they had back on the East Coast. And a lot of them would go crazy just due to the deafening sounds of silence. Like the only thing that you could hear while you were out on these planes was the intense wind. And that wind, that sound of silence was just deafening and they would go mad. Um, So the wind is an excellent film that really delves into that psychosis of prairie madness in a very interesting and insightful way. All right, before we wrap up, do you want to know how to better support this podcast? Of course you do. First off, don't forget about our pinky promise that we made to each other at the beginning of the episode that you were going to post a review for me on May 1st. <laughs> don't forget, um, follow me on Instagram at Mystery Soul Unsolved for a reminder. Visit my website, www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Binge episodes there. Learn a little bit more about me. Peruse my merch. Um, I'm also going to post a link in my show notes to the Patreon program if you feel so inclined to donate monetarily or just want to read a little bit more about what it's all about. Go to that link and it will tell you everything that you need to know. Um, Another way that you can help me is to tell a true crime loving friend or family member about the podcast, but don't feel trapped within the confines of the phrase family and friends. Tell your IT person at work tell the cable guy, tell your mail carrier. Uh, The weather's getting nice and warm, so soon on Saturdays you'll be able to go down to your local farmer's market. Tell your friends down there about it. Um, You're sure to make an impression. I guarantee it. Um, I know it may sound silly, but I just want everyone to know about Mysteries Still Unsolved, and the best way is word of mouth and all of the recommendations that we can muster. Thank you so much for being here today. I seriously couldn't do this without your continued support and encouragement and love. I don't know how I got so lucky with such like an awesome listenership, Um, but I want you to know that I do really feel very lucky to have 
you all in my community and in my life. Um, I love being able to get together and talk with you each and every week. I seriously wouldn't want it any other way. Every single time I'm like, I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this. I'm like, no, I love doing it. I love it. It's so fun. And if I don't do it, I like regret it the whole week. I'm going to close with the best way that you can support this podcast, which is to join me next week when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?